Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 550 on Tuesday, the 31st of October, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be talking about obfuscating the truth. In new, new car news, we discuss a bunch of cars that you'll need a deep pocket for. And in points of interest, we find out what's in a name. However, we do have this week some follow-up, first time in a little while. And I will start with the news that Cruise has paused its robo-taxi service across its fleet. I'm going to just quickly for everyone who can predict exactly where this is going, this is about to go. I'm going to try and drag him as quickly as possible through the next two articles, okay? Just so we're all aware of it, there is no no chance of any misunderstanding here, okay? I'm going to try to let him cover the points, and then I'm going to move him on. Talking about the points then, with Cruz, mm-hmm. on October the 2nd, a human driver in San Francisco hit a pedestrian that was crossing on a red light. That knocked her into the path of the following Cruz robo-taxi. The system attempted an emergency stop, but unfortunately ran over the injured lady and came to a stop with her trapped underneath the vehicle. That's the video evidence that Cruz showed a select number of journalists immediately, and the next day, the investigators from California's Department of Motor Vehicles, that's the DMV. Mm -hmm. Uh, This release of the info and the subsequent reporting meant that the narrative was very much in Cruz's favour. And observers and commentators urged everyone not to say Cruz was at fault, etc., etc. Ten days later, the DMV were informed by another government agency that there is more to this than they had been told. They then requested the full video of the incident and afterwards. In what the DMV see, they state that following trapping the lady underneath the car, the vehicle attempted a, and this is a quote, pullover manoeuvre, and dragged the pedestrian. This caused the DMV to revoke Cruz's license to operate the robo-taxi fleet as, and again I'm quoting from the DMV, the manufacturer's vehicles are not safe for public operation. The California Public Utilities Commission, CPUC, has followed suit. They were the ones who gave permission for Cruz and Waymo, but Cruz to charge for people to use their robo-taxi service. Previously, it was all free. Cruz has denied it withheld any video evidence, though. The company then announced that it was pausing its robo-taxi operations in its fleet. They went on to say, and quoting from Cruz's own tweet, the most important thing for us right now is to take steps to rebuild the public trust. Laughable. Honestly, and I'm going to make this short, because I've been angry off-air Mm-hmm. for a long time about this, so don't worry. But the company has published, paid for, half-truths, misinformation, all the way through its thing. And whenever they reveal video evidence, it's always very quickly in favour of the company. Now, obviously, of course, they're never going to go, oh, look at all the bad things we do. But they are only publishing stuff that infers that they are great. And that's wrong. And some of the information they've produced is factually incorrect as well. The speed at which they released that video should have been a red flag for all the commentators and reporters who deal with this because they know Cruz's modus of operandi. And I hope people take that on board who report on this stuff or comment on it 
and start acting a bit more accordingly. Alan, talking of information that's not very clear. Yes, there's a column out from Philip Koopman, autonomous vehicle safety expert, and uh, it's on LinkedIn. Commiserations for guiding you towards LinkedIn, but these things happen sometimes. Mercedes-Benz in the US has a system called DrivePilot. It is touted and sold as being uh, level three. It certainly was. Yep. Uh, whenever it was being announced. I think it's in two states and under very strict conditions, apparently. Yeah. There are strict uh, condi- uh, geofencing and all sorts of stuff around it. But one of the things that Mercedes-Benz said at the time was that, of course, if this uh, if, if this messes up, then obviously we, we are liable. Mm. And this, or, or have I were just... They said that originally when they announced originally, they were going yeah, yeah, to bring that's the what system. I'm saying. When they were originally bringing the, going to bring the system, not... Yeah, but there's a, there's a difference because so many people have reported that that is what was happening when they came to actually say, yeah, you can get it now. No, no. Okay, so pardon me. Yes, I intended that to mean at the time of the original announcement, that was probably the bigger part of the announcement mm. yep. about what was going to happen. And then, of course, they've been kind of quiet on that stuff. They've now published the owner's manual. And there are links, by the way, to the DrivePilot page on the Mercedes-Benz website and links straight to the DrivePilot user manual and the US edition of the Mercedes S-Class user manual as well. So you can go off and find and see this stuff for yourself. That said, there are a couple of, of lines in here. Do be aware. It, it says that, that the driver should stay, stay alert, so no sleeping. Uh, should take control of vehicles if irregularities are detected uh, on the vehicle or in traffic situations or in the traffic situation. And then there is a point there that it doesn't actually say who should be detecting them, uh, whether it should be the person in the driver's seat or the or what's traditionally known as the driver's seat or whether it's the, the vehicle I- itself. Or what an irregularity is. <laughs> or what an irregularity is, yes. Uh, it also says the fallback user must be able to take control of the vehicle at any time, which is the standard stuff. But if that's the case, then it's level two, not level three. Yeah. The other thing is it says DrivePilot does not release you from public road use obligations. And then that's the equivalence to, okay, so who's going to sort that particular out? The thing is, the next page then goes on to tell you about how you can show movies on the big screen in the middle of the car. So it's a little unclear just how much of that has ever been followed through remarkable uh, once again the car industry putting the human driver right front and center for their systems i've been trying to explain this to people quite a lot recently it feels that here in america there's a situation where it's going to be consumer versus corporation or or just person versus corporation the corporation will always have the upper hand the chances are that everything is skewed in favor of the corporation, not in favor of the person, which is somewhat different from uh, what we're used to in Europe. Yeah, it, it beggars belief, quite honestly. Uh, it is one of the things that when, when people say you're going to stay in the US, the answer is no. And that is actually one of the, the key reasons why. It's, yeah, it just, it, I, I, I just don't like it. No. Moving swiftly on. Yes, rather than me spending the entire show angry. Thank you. I appreciate your constraint, by the way. Thank you. Just so that you're aware of that, I really do appreciate your constraint. I tried very hard. (laughs) I know you did. 
I know. He had a little bit of a go beforehand, everyone. <laughs> that was not the first run at that. I'm going to take us to China. And this is the news that uh, Stellantis has done a deal with the Chinese car manufacturer Leap Motor. Stellantis are going to sell Leap Motor EVs in Europe uh, after investing £1.3 billion mm-hmm. uh, in the company. Leap Motor is apparently, according to Auto Car Business, a tech-focused car maker and one of the fastest-growing brands in China. So it's the opposite of Stellantis. <laughs> well, we need to remember Stellantis left China, didn't they? They pulled out the market because they were... Did they mm. leave them no, or, they had- or have they just been hemorrhaging their... I don't know. They, they had been a very early pioneer. Yeah, they were there. Peugeot and Citroën were early pioneers, along with Volkswagen, in the in the Chinese motor industry when it was very, very small. Mm. I think they may have pulled back from it, though. You know, I think their sales plummeted because they didn't have products that the, the market wanted. Yeah, basically the market went faster than they did. Yeah. They were still still selling sort of booted ZXs and yeah. stuff with grills and, and, and things like that. And, and the world had moved on quite a lot in that time. Yeah. Whilst they say they're going to sell Leap Motor vehicles, they have not. <laughs> there's, a, there's a fantastic quote in here. They're definitely going to sell vehicles. They're going to start doing it from 2024. But there are no plans about models at this stage. Alan, what month are we in? <laughs> Seems a little strange, given it is October 2023. Or nearly November. <laughs> yeah, oh well, yeah, basically November by the time you hear this. It seems rather odd. Leap also are supposedly a leader in autonomous driving. Okay, move on. And obviously EV drivetrain as well. Interesting to see what comes from this, if anything. I mean, Stellantis get 20% of the company and two seats on the board. So I don't know if that strategically has lots of value for them, quite possibly. But it'll be interesting to see. Oh, obviously, it may die a death. I mean, it's still subject to closing conditions and regulatory approvals. So we'll see if anyone's still talking about this in six months. Yeah. But it, it does show an interesting, interesting move. Yeah. Could be a winning one, of course. Only time will tell. Do you want to talk to something that isn't cheap? Fuel in the UK. Mm. The RAC has been Top Gear magazine here says crunching some numbers and in case you haven't realized drivers in the UK are paying too much for fuel uh, and the RAC reckons that all the major fuel retailers should or could easily cut their prices by five pence per litre supposedly uh, well this partly because the wholesale costs have been dropping quite quite heavily since the start of October but as always, the prices on the forecourts are, are not reflecting any reductions. Mm. You know, they go up straight away, they come down eventually, maybe. Well, it's because of how much supply they've got. They always buy a lot at a higher price. Mm. And they have, very, they have very little in their tanks when the price suddenly goes up. It's, it's just, I don't know why they haven't sorted this out in their purchasing or anything. But that just appears to be where they're caught out every single time. And unfortunately, there's I nothing know. they can do but pass on those costs to us, the consumers. Yes. Along with their uh, making bad corporate decisions, the last thing they need can do is to actually not pay their shareholders phenomenal amounts of money or let their profits fall below a good few billion. Mm, quite. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. As you can tell, we're a little bit sick 
of <laughs> how how the prices are going. Uh, and I, I know the RAC also on Twitter commented about how this actually adds to the problem with inflation. Oh, it does. That the Treasury should be angry because the 5p a litre duty cut that is in place to mm-hmm. help us poor consumers is not being passed on to us. The, the oil retailers or companies are just pocketing that difference as well as yeah, keeping the price so. inflated artificially higher than it should be, according to the RAC. Yes, that is very much the case. Very much the case indeed. So our tax money at work there, everyone, making everything more expensive for us, but making sure that the oil company shareholders are recompensed for their whatever it is they do. Yep. I'm going to move us on to Volkswagen, and this week's, oh dear, that's not great news story for them, is that they have announced, or they have agreed at board level, to cut jobs uh, and further delay the launch of the new software and put back the update software that they've got coming from the Cariad software division, I think is the right way to put it. Mm. So they're talking about 2,000 jobs being cut at Cariad, but there's also talks of more jobs across the group to take place from 2024 until the end of 2025. The new software architecture, which is the, whatever Volkswagen call their software, but 1.2 that was to go in the Audi Q6 e-tron and the Porsche Macan is being pushed back another 16 to 18 weeks. Obviously, that pushes back all of the development of the vehicle. Yep. And they've said that the 2.0 architecture is being completely redeveloped. So forget the 2025 launch of that. That's massive. That is absolutely huge. Now, my employers have been making software for 30 years. We still have delays. There is still stuff and bugs that we find at the last minute, which pushes things out a week or two. Mm. A 16 to 18 week delay is pretty awful. And then sort of having to just redevelop is is terrible. There's some... Something has gone very wrong in this. I don't know what it is. All I can say is something has gotten very wrong. We've got suspicions of contributing factors. So many. Yes. Uh, Obviously, rushing 1.0 would, I'm sure, be a a major major part of it, because then the the knock-on effect is there for a long time. Mm. That may be part of the complete rewrite of 2.0. But obviously, there's the new chap coming in with... Tesla and, is it Tesla and Lucid or Tesla and Faraday? Yeah, Uh, Tesla and Lucid experience. Let's see where that goes, but this is, I'm sure there were some raised voices at the board meeting where this this was agreed, because this is not good news. This this has knock-on effects Mm. uh, across a lot of the the board. Uh, There there will be anger and, and annoyance at Porsche as well, because they're already very vocal about their feelings about some of this stuff. Well, they've gone to China, haven't they, for a, a, yeah, they've a gone tech and they've, partner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've, had to, they've decided to find someone else in the interim because basically we can't do this. And that's what I think, by the way, that's one of the things that I think Stellantis might see in Leap. By the way, I think the cars mm. may be an aside 
I think that what they probably see in, in Leap is, is the tech aspect of it. And it's not just going out and buying a tech company. It's, it's buying into, I know I'm analyzing two stories ago, but it makes more sense now. <laughs> Sorry. I could have changed the order of these, by the way. It just didn't occur to me at the time. But they're buying into tech that is already being applied to motor vehicles yes. as opposed to just tech. Yeah. And that could, despite our making fun of them for not being prepared to agree to discuss which models they might be bringing within a year, then that actually, I think, is probably the more important part of the deal. I think the cars might be a little frill on the side because it's not as if Stellantis needs more brands. Yes, quite. Uh, but this is this is really very worrying from from Volkswagen. Obviously, uh, job losses are, are not great. The thing is, they're going to cut the two thousand jobs, start redoing it all, then have to hire people back again. Mm. It's it's very confusing whenever they keep on doing and saying that kind of thing. You wonder if that is just once again for the shareholders to go look, look, look. We're doing things. We're making people redundant. Oh, we need to actually hire you back again. Probably as an external consultant or a contractor yeah. or something equally ludicrous. Because that's what happens in corporate world. Let's just see. Yeah, but interestingly, the Works Council uh, don't know any of the details yet. They're saying, mm, we're not really happy about this. Yeah, and of course, the Works Council has absolutely no power at all in German. Oh, yeah, they do. We're going to have to wait and see. It would be wonderful if when 2.0 eventually lands, everyone goes, this is fantastic. Mm. Uh, but we'll, we'll have to, to, to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, and, and wait and see in an ever-increasing period of time before we, we actually do see that. Yep. Lots of use of the word sea there. Well done, me. Well, rather than come back over the sea, do you want to stay in Europe then? Uh, I will do. Speaking of things coming from China to Europe, originally the Volvo EX30 was going to be pretty much exclusively imported, or exclusively built in China, mm -hmm. and then exported globally. Yep. Uh, there's been a bit of a, a change of plan what could ever have caused that, Alan? I don't know. Is it, could it be some of those EU-related investigations going on that we've covered over the last few weeks? <laughs> Production has started in China, and uh, first cars should reach customers uh, later this year. UK deliveries starting in 2024. To try to accommodate this, and I'm sure nothing to do with any of the EU investigations, Volvo has decided to start producing the EX30 in Ghent as well. That should come on stream in around 2025. That will increase global production capacity in line with its plan to build cars close to where they're sold. <laughs> Look forward to a, 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 a factory appearing uh, in the US or Canada or, or Mexico at some point over the next couple of years. Well, they're, they're already said they already, already said they're they doing already that. have, haven't they? Because Sorry, they, want those, um, they want those credits mm, for exactly. the Inflation Act. Exactly. So, pardon me. Yes, they have. Uh, I, I, I did know that. It just completely jumped my brain. No, but it, it is your point is valid though because they've couched it up there with, oh well, we're reducing the miles that we transport things, etc., mm. etc. Et which, which is good as well. Yeah, by yeah, the way. I, Let's not poo-poo that completely. No, no. The, the, the idea is good, but to suggest that that's the the real reason is, well, the primary reason. Yeah. Yes. Uh, what amused me was the, the EX30, which will rival, rival the Smart Hash 1, and you think a Volvo rivaling a Smart. That just shows how stuffed up stuff can be, you know. Electric vehicles have completely rewritten the rules. Well, We've said this for ages, haven't we? Well, do they not share a platform? 
Do they? I don't know. I can't. I, I think can't so. Remember. Yes, they do because they're both Geely owned run. Oh, I mean, it would make sense, but I, I don't know the. I think they do. I, I should really know before I say these things. Oh, yes. Based on the SEA platform as used by the Polestar 4 and the Smart Hash 1. There we go. Number one, whatever it is. So there we go. Yes, it is. It is the same platform. It's interesting, though, that this article from AM Online, which will be linked in the show notes, does say it's a nimble move by the Swedish car maker in a bid to circumvent looming tariffs on Chinese electric car imports. It just seems like the whole industry expects there to be tariffs. Yeah. And they're coming. Because China, they said that, didn't they, in their yeah. statements to just make this proportional. Yeah, but it doesn't do any harm, so say, to build stuff closer to where it's sold if you can. No, absolutely. Do it at a similar cost. Yep. Speaking of which. Yes. Uh, JLR are going to uh, electrify their nitro plant. The nitro plant is the one in Slovakia that they opened in only 2018. It should surprise no one at all that they are going to make this work long into the future. Are they not electrifying Castle Bromwich first? They're doing that as well. Hmm. This electrifying of the Slovakian plant will take place by the end of the decade. By 2030, they will be producing electric models, uh, is how it's being said. Is that not pretty obvious? Sorry. Well, I don't that's understand how this is a big... No, but th- that's what I'm saying is th- this is their newest factory. Of course, they were always going to electrify yeah. it. Otherwise, that's billions wasted. And it's within the EU as well. So, yes. rules of origin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which is, makes treble the treble sense, really. Yep. What, by the way, I find is impressive. The, the bit that impressed me in, in what in much of this article I can actually read because of global geolocking and all sorts of fun stuff is that that plant has produced 365,000 defenders and discoveries. That is impressive. That must be a fair chunk of the, whatever it's called this week, JLR output over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think so. Do you want to move us on to someone who has done research and tested and come to a conclusion? Yeah. Toyota is going to switch the focus of its uh, fuel cell development from passenger cars to commercial vehicles. Uh, they've come out and said that the, the Mirai hasn't really been a success. And they're saying that it's not that they don't believe the challenge has been at the vehicle end. The challenge has really been at the, obviously, the hydrogen station end. People are finding it difficult to roll out uh, hydrogen stations. There are, there are very few of them. Uh, it seems that they're quite hard to put in place. Now, I don't think it's actually the hydrogen station that's hard to put in place. I think it's getting the supply of hydrogen mm. uh, is, is actually the tricky part there. They are going to focus uh, much more on, on mid-sized trucks, A to B journeys, these d- doing A to B journeys, that kind of thing. They don't want to give up on passenger cars. They are trying to downsize components still. They will be doing fuel cell stacks and half-size fuel cell stacks for smaller hydrogen vehicles so it just won't all be in trucks but the chances are it might be much more uh, van or pickup truck related i I would imagine Mm -hmm. i I wouldn't expect another mirai is where i'm going with this not anytime soon that's for sure no exactly there's a place for all of these things as we've said time and time again and we have said makes a lot more sense in a a commercial vehicle uh, setup for a while now that's where Toyota's going. But they're going that way based on having actually 
spent money and tried stuff and yeah tried to make a go of it and doing it globally as well not just in a subsection of a sub market yeah quite pretty brave move well that brings us to guilt minute that's the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on the hosting running if you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month then you can become a patron the different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you including being able to watch the show recorded live we also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts if you don't have any spare cash and we do completely understand then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you if you've done all of that and some of you do so thank you very much then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues yes thank you everyone who does the fact that you do that is really very special to us i have to say mm-hmm. uh, new new car news and now i did promise this last week alan i promised that there was an uglier amg coming and here it is here is the 2024 Mercedes AMG GLE 53. Now that's going to be a 400, I'm sorry, a 500, if I could read numbers, a 536 brake horsepower FEV. Uh, okay. It's got a three litre straight six. Mm. So it does at least have more than four cylinders. The GLE is one of those SUV coupe things for anyone who's not quite aware or up to speed on the many, many, many many models mercedes offer well we've just found this we'll talk about that in the next story uh the gla by the way you can get it in a coupe and you can also get it in a in a less coupe one it's it's essentially the old ml mm. uh it, it's the ml sized one so it's sort of e-class and suv it's huge it's sorry my, my sense of these things is warped it is quite big it is it's, it's there but yes that's going to be interesting isn't it lots of power and a plug-in hybrid uh, what? How many does this article story tell us? How many miles it'll do? Is electric range between fifty and fifty-three miles for the straight-backed SUV, as opposed to the coupe one, and fifty-one to fifty-four for the coupe version, which is more efficient. Do you want to hear the miles, the official miles per gallon? Go on. So for the straight-backed SUV, it's one hundred and eighty-eight point three to two hundred and seventeen point three miles per gallon, apparently, and then for the Coupe, it's 201.8 to 235.4 miles per gallon, apparently, with CO2 emissions only being 29 to 33 grams per kilometer for the SUV and 27 to 31 for the coupe. If you've got a 15 mile commute and a charger at home, you can probably get close to that. Mm. Mm-hmm. The thing is, it's easy and amusing to, to poke fun, but that's still a 536 brake horsepower vehicle like its aesthetics or not i mean i know that those numbers are the computed ones and real life thing but even if you're getting 50 60 to the gallon Mm. that's still flipping impressive isn't it oh yeah it really it really is It, it is genuinely impressive that the level of engineering to be able to combine crazy power outputs crazy performance in something that is essentially a brick and then also Really, what would have been unbelievable economy, what, 10, 20 years ago? Oh, it felt it, yeah. Or, or you, yeah. Were, you were getting a specialist model to get that sort of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. even the early, you know, even the, uh, 20 years ago, it was the earliest Prius, wasn't it? Mm. Uh, really? And oh, the Mark II Prius, and that's what everybody thought of as a hybrid. And yeah, it, it's quite... I, I think that 
from an engineering standpoint, it's fantastic. And for an aesthetic one, especially in the primer grey that's shown here, it's not. But you know, let's let's um let's gloss over that. Let's not gloss over it, but let's to make sure that we make a point of of no, highlighting it, what's flipping impressive here. Yes, I was glossing over the looks. Yeah. Unlike the paint job. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tell us about another Mercedes Benz. Okay. Another Mercedes Benz model designation that caused us some consternation just before we started recording. Yes. Not to be outdone by Audi. I know. <laughs> we should all be giving Mercedes a harder time for this name, for the current set of confusing naming designations. I'm sorry, because this one got me completely. Yeah. Mercedes Benz EQS SUV. Now, remember that bit because that's important. Is going to get a bigger battery and that will take it up to 447 miles in range, apparently. This efficiency boost will also come next year to the EQS and EQE saloons. Now, we thought they were called something different. Yeah. Or that the SUV was called something different because Mercedes calls their SUVs GLs. G- no, they start with G. G. So Sorry. this should really be a, either a GQS. Yes. But that gets rid of the EQ, whatever that is. So it should be a GEQS. Or EQGS. Yeah, that makes more sense. And then you've got the EQS for the saloon version. Yeah. You could use, yeah. Mercedes, you can pay us via PayPal, sponsor us on Patreon, or send checks directly. <laughs> Venmo directly to me. Don't send a check. Checks is going to cause, cause chaos. Uh, so, yeah. I, uh, yes, sorry. Yeah, um, but anyway, back back to great more battery, more battery. But back to, back to this, it's more battery. The current one is 118 kilowatt per hour. It's going to gain 10 kilowatts per hour of usable energy capacity, according to this Autocar article. Yeah, that, that's going to help things. And let's <laughs> wow, the EQS SUV when it first went on sale in the UK last year this time last year, mm. had a price tag of £129,170. So when I said people need deep pockets for the cars we're talking about this week, you have no idea what's about to come, but yes, you need deep pockets. I mean, that's impressive, but that's how few, even on the monthlies, how few people they are actually going to... Yeah, top-end company cars. Yeah, it's your directors and C-suite mm. people, isn't it? I hate that term, but yes, yes. Sorry, I was trying to translate it to language you understand in America now. Oh, right. No, yeah. <laughs> Let's move away from that. Let's go to Korea. Come on, Alan. Yes, Hyundai Ionic 5. I like the Hyundai Ionic 5. I like the Hyundai Ionic 5 a lot. It is a relaxing sitting room on wheels. Lovely to drive around, particularly on our difficult roads with difficult road users. Mm-hmm. And it's reclining front seats, like airline seats that go right back with a footrest that comes out and holds it up. It is, you know, for whenever you're you're either waiting at a charging point or you're, I don't know, not really sitting in traffic. If you're a passenger, yeah. And all these things, really chilled out, relaxed place to be. Which is what makes me surprised that Hyundai have decided that it's going to be the first of their EVs to get an N badging. Yes. Yes. UK delivery start 2024. 
Ionic 5N gives twin electric motors giving 641 horsepower, 568 pound-feet of everything, of torques uh, in the N grin boost mode. Not to 62 in 3.4 seconds. And how much? Uh, 65 grand. Hmm. Uh, it's got bigger brakes. A regen system is capable of generating 0.6 Gs. It's got Pirelli P0 tires as standard. It's longer, it's wider, it's lower. Yeah, it's a smidgen longer and it's a smidgen wider and it's 20 mil lower. I mean, it's kind of cool. But I'm surprised they've done it with this. I, I would actually never choose this car. No. Because I would buy a 5, only 5, for the chill factor. Yes. I'm surprised that this hasn't come out in the 6 first, although we do know that the 6 is, is obviously on its way. There was one demonstrated uh, briefly at Goodwood this year. Yes. Uh, before a bail vehicle interface took place. I mean, they're doing things like they're adding a, a, a Mimic 8-speed gearbox and they're going to pause the torque delivery and interrupt the artificial sound to pretend it's changing gear. And there's also a fake rev counter on the dash. I just... Now, anyone who's listened to us for any time, but if you're, if you're a recent listener, then you won't know this. We love the N brand. We love the N cars, mm-hmm. the, the internal combustion and, engine and versions. And we love miles all the silly childishness that goes with it, like the, the rev, all the displays change colour, the noises, all that stuff. I still like the silly childishness. Please yeah, yeah. don't don't get me wrong, and I would love to try it. I don't think I want to buy it. <laughs> don't think I want to own this one. Whereas a standard Ionic Five, then then yeah, mm, yeah. I, I hope to I hope to try this when it comes over to the UK. Well, it's your fault for going over to America. But I hope to try this to then. So many of the report initial reports on it are very positive about this. Yeah, I'm sh- look, mate, it will drive brilliantly. It will ride really well. It will do everything really, really well. There's, mm. there's not really any any debate or discussion about that. It will be blooming good, and then you'll go, "Oh, I really like that." But yeah, yeah, you won't say it in that voice. That was my demeaning voice, and it wasn't meant to be demeaning. <laughs> If you click the link in the show notes, there's a car article linked uh, that you can read more and see more about that. Alan, if though the £120,000 Mercedes EQS SUV is not your bag, and if you don't think the Ionic 5 is going to be sort of exclusive enough for you, do you have an option for me? I mean, it's coming up to Christmas, so do you have an option? I'm going to take a bag of £50 notes outside and burn them. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, wait. Because I want a car which can't be driven on the road, or you want a car that can't be driven on the road. Please. But only on road and racetracks, uh, which has been homologated for four FIA Ferrari Challenge Championships then what I will buy you is a Ferrari 296 Challenge. Oh, cool. This replaces the 488 Challenge Evo, and it does it by being faster, lighter, more aero, sticky tires, etc., etc., etc. It loses all its hybrid power. It looks like the latest whatever it is. 296. Yeah. But more spoilery. It's like, it's like the GT3. 
car. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say like a Porsche GT3, which is is road legal. This this isn't. No, definitely not road legal. There's all sorts of ducks built in. They've, there's not a lot here. There's a lot of words. Pardon me. In this car article, not a lot of numbers, which is what I'm struggling with. The outcome really is that the 296 challenges two seconds of a lap faster at Mugello than the 488. So it's got a V6. Uh, it is uh, putting out 690 brake horsepower at 7,500 RPM. That's 231 brake horsepower per litre. And it puts out 546 foot-pounds of torque, which is almost as much as that Hyundai Ionic 5 just talked about. <laughs> it weighs 1,400 kilos. Oh, pardon me. Uh, the 296 GTB weighs 1,400 kilos. The challenge is 1,300 uh, because the hybrid system isn't there anymore. There's more plastic, there's more aluminium, and the brake system is lighter, etc., etc., etc. No word on prices. But the North American and European Championships uh, will see the 296 Challenge instead of the 488 Evo in 2024 and uh, 2025 for the Japanese and UK Championships. Yes. But if that's still a bit common, because you'll notice there are no maximum numbers quoted at any point there, they no. will sell as many as they can. Well, that is for their, their series, so that's, that's yes. understandable. Yes. Many spare parts. Aye. So if that's too common, mm. and if that's not expensive enough, yeah, and also, you know, there is room for a second person, which could be a bit much, there is another option, isn't there? Yeah. For those who want something a, a smidgen more exclusive, there is the Ferrari 499P track car. This is going to be a limited run of the Le Mans winning hypercar. That is for gentlemen drivers. I presume they are lady drivers too. Yes. And is apparently the most expensive Ferrari yet. If you happen to have £4.6 million plus VAT, you will be allowed access to this for two years to race in nine racing events organized by Ferrari for two years. If you want to use it on a specific racetrack, uh, there will be an additional fee while they ship it to wherever that racetrack is with engineers, etc., etc. Basically, you will never actually be able to take the car home with you. Yeah, you don't own it. Yeah, but you, but you, Ferrari have done this before. You are renting the ability to drive it at some point when mm -hmm. Ferrari say you can. I think it started with the FXX this started with. I'm sure there was a Clarkson thing on yeah, old I thought it was Top the FXX. Gear where it was basically... Or it might have been the Grand Tour, might have been with the Aston Martin, where they came and changed mm. the wheels, pumped them up, all the engineers, and it's that sort of thing, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically they ship it in a nice livery truck, and it gets to you. I think it was the FXX, which was sort of based on the Enzo, was one of the first. I mean, that's quite well. If you can, if you can, go for it. Yeah, it'd be brilliant. It's, it's going to be out of this world. I like the fact that they say it is one of their most exclusive things ever. So they're probably not expecting to sell more than five of these. Or, sorry, to be able to lease rent or whatever it is you do, at least five of these. Yeah. It will give you access to every Ferrari road car, though. Because you're going to be at the top of that list. Yeah, if, you, if you're paying for this, then you are, you are a very special customer that they want to nurture and love and keep hold of. <laughs> 
If you're in a position to qualify to pay for this, I think. Yes. <laughs> Do you want to take us to points of interest then? Yes. And I'm going to take you from wherever, whichever gorgeous racetrack Ferrari has taken your 5 million euro vehicle to. And I'm going to take you to the M8 motorway in Glasgow. Oh, you spoil us, Alan. You spoil us. I know the Ferrero Rush here on their way. Uh, other hazelnut flavoured chocolates are available. John Shenanigans, a well-known presenter of the Auto Shenanigans uh, YouTube channel, put out a, a really interesting video the other week. When he was on his, on his, his, he does the, the whole, the whole Secrets of the Motorway uh, series uh, on YouTube, as well as many others. Do go look at the Auto Shenanigans uh, YouTube channel. It is, it is well worth a, a many hours and is a terrible rabbit hole of your time. At one point, uh, there's a drone shot where it pans over part of the M8, and there is what looks like a yellow Formula One car going up one of the on-ramps onto the M8. And he says he didn't really notice it at the time because he was just in that editing fuzz where it was just yellow car and then kept moving. And loads of people asked him about it. So he went and he managed to track down and go speak to the owner and have a chat about what it was, why he owned it, what on earth he was doing in Glasgow on a Wednesday afternoon, uh, joining the M8 in this. It's different from what John normally does, but it's eight minutes and it's really interesting. Now, I warn you that some of our more southerly uh, and possibly foreign listeners may need to turn on subtitles because <laughs> Alan is quite heavily accented. Very much like our own dear Alan. Uh, <laughs> yes. Okay, whatever. So, <laughs> so I'm just warning you of that one. It's a really nice little video. It's really cool and, and well done to, to John for, for tracking down. Well done to Alan for agreeing to be on mm. on YouTube chatting about his car and why he bought it and other cars he's had. It's cool. Yeah. Really cool. nice Good thing. Really Good nice spot. thing. Well, it's it's not difficult when you're subscribed and it just forces it in front of you. And you go, <laughs> we should talk about this. Okay, well, talking of talking, let's go to the list of the week. And this is from uh, Autocar and is a slideshow. So due sense of dread and trepidation for your browser working with it or not. It's crashed on me three times already. And this is the Triumphs and Disasters of Nameplate Revivals. Now, there's 21 slides, so that's effectively 10 names because there is the original and the new version for each of the names. Alan, is one one name in this list that stands out more than others that for good or for bad? Because um, some are more successful than others, I think we can agree. Some of them, yeah, but I don't always agree with what's written in the text in the article, by the way, because I think that some of them, they said, oh, it was a flop, and it's not really, wasn't necessarily given a chance. Bearing that in mind, I was more talking along the lines of um, what was a good car or what was not. Oh, those are two completely different things. Because, yeah, oh, mate, that's that just, no, no, that's too simplistic. I'm sorry, I'm not going to get you away with that one. Uh, I'm going to say a successful one is the fact that the, frankly, nearly nobody had ever heard of a Jeep Gladiator mm? because the nameplate had been retired so long ago. Okay. Jeep Gladiator, by the way, is a four-door Jeep, so it's the Wrangler Unlimited. 
but instead of the just luggage space behind the rear behind the rear seats there's an extended wheelbase and a pickup truck bed out the back it's like a king cab well yeah yeah it's like a jeep which has had a bed stuck on the back of it yeah yeah i, I mean I, I like the wrangler they don't sell the gladiator in, in outside of the u.s partly because it's too flipping long <laughs> because of that extended wheelbase and that long bed that's on the back as well it really is a phenomenally long vehicle it just would not it just would not fit somewhere yeah you've got to put the freedom bumpers on as well I and mean, that's an extra three or four foot do you know what the, the, it's one of the, the wrangler is one of those rare occasions when the u.s bumper is smaller than the euro bumper oh wow so if you look at the euro wranglers the bumper is a good four inches deeper oh, right. than it is on the on the American spec ones. I, I assume it's to do with disguising and hiding or or moving sort of pedestrian impact stuff out of the way. Yeah. Supposedly you can get good discounts on them now, but you know, it, it seems to be quite popular. I see a lot of them on the on the roads. So it's one which seems to have been very successful. But there's a whole list here of some which have been uh, not bad cars in any way, shape, or form, but have been been um, uh, dumped upon from a great height mm. by senior management at some point is the normal reason that these were not gratefully successful. Poor decisions were made. Poor announcements were made uh, in some cases, because well, at least one of them involves Sergio Marchion mm. very publicly dumping on a vehicle and then discontinuing a vehicle which got really good write-ups in the automotive press at the time. Mm. Yeah, lots of stuff there. Anyway, go do have a look. It says Triumphs and Disasters, but I don't think any of them is a Triumph. Which surprised me. It's a very US-centric list, by the way, so I don't know where they bought it from. but it's Okay, not being US-centric, though, can you take us to Australia for the and finally? Yes, and finally. Belgian students have won the Australian Solar Race driving a bullet-shaped car with a retractable fin. I'm, I'm going to be honest, these races are normally won by bullet-shaped cars. I don't know about retractable fins, because bullet-shaped cars is kind of what you need to get maximum solar cell. Yeah, and aero efficiency. And aero efficiency. The combination of the two of them brings the, these, terrifying, these terrifying lightweight vehicles. This is the Bridgestone World Solar Challenge. This is a competition that happens quite regularly. It's come back now. Last time it was run was 2019, before the pandemic, obviously, which caused a four-year hiatus there. And yeah, the, the idea is to try to drive across Australia just on solar power, which, first of all, the first challenge is you're driving all the way across Australia. The second is the solar part. And the third is the fact that there are these scary, terrifying road trains and you're in this tiny little envelope of vehicle. Yes. Congratulations to them. It's, it, it's kind of cool. It's got a fin on top that you've, you've mentioned, but apparently the, the student's team claimed helps with the performance because mm -hmm. they can retract it for starters. Yeah. Uh, it also rotates. It can act as a, a sail, apparently, reducing energy consumption and it will enhance stability because this is only a, a three-wheeled vehicle yes it's impressive i'm surprised they're allowed the fin to act as a sail to be honest 
But no, it is really cool. The, the engineering yeah. in these things is is really quite impressive, and it's made all the all the all the trickier by the fact that you've got to have a whole balance of contradictory things. So mm. you need as small an area, cross sectional area as you can for aerodynamic efficiency, but at the same time, you need as big a surface as you possibly can have to have as many solar cells. Yeah. And then you want to be lightweight and you want to have as few components as possible, but then you also want to be able to do things like tilt your solar array even just slightly because that gives you a bit more advantage and and all sorts of all sorts of cool stuff. They crossed uh, the finish line in 34 hours 4 minutes 41 seconds average speed of uh, 88.2 kilometers an hour 24.5 miles that doesn't seem right. 50 kilometers an hour is 30 miles an hour. So there's something wrong with somebody's calculations on auto evolution. An average speed of 88.2 kilometers an hour, which should be somewhere in the 40 odd mile an hour. They might have transposed the figures there. It might be 42.5 miles an hour. It's 54.8 miles per hour. Yeah, that makes sense. The average 54 miles an hour in that thing. Well, okay, fair enough. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's impressive. It really is impressive, and and that's the average over the whole time. So it will include stops and things. Yeah, yeah, like that. Love that. Yeah, me too. I love the clever, clever engineering. Parish notes before we go. We released a special edition on Monday. Yes, we released it in two versions. It's not that we've forgotten about special editions. Uh, we actually have a whole load that are recorded. Uh, it's just a case of getting the chance to to actually put them out. But we managed and knew we, we needed a quick turnaround on that one uh, we talked about the japan mobility show uh, which used to be the tokyo motor show so anyway you see everybody else calling it the tokyo motor show that's what they're actually talking about yeah and we ran through uh, after a bit of a bit of ramble at the start i'm afraid uh we went through some of the, the sort of highlights uh, of uh, just the sort of main themes really that, mm. that, that there were and, and and some of the highlights and some of my thoughts on on some of those Available as a podcast, which should, if you're using a more modern podcast player, show you pictures of what we're talking about as we're talking about them. Mm -hmm. And also as a YouTube, which shows you pictures of what we're talking about as we're talking about them, and us as we talk about them as well. Yeah. It's yeah. your decision whether you want that last bit. Yes. It's reminded me why we have faces for radio. That we have we faces do. for radio. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's out. Uh, seems to be quite popular. Please yeah. go make it more popular if you haven't already. It's an hour of our natter. In the meantime, folks, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts, or show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is either on Twitter or Mastodon. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you can get in touch with me on uh, Twitter, on Mastodon, on Blue Sky, or most other grown-up social media channels. Uh, in all cases, I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, we'll be back very soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.